How is everybody? The kindness of men leads people to repentance, but there's a but in there. My Bible says, Matthew eleven twelve, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We good? All right. Not that I'm a violent man. Everybody's so quiet. I'm like, who is this guy? So I'm Aaron's older, better looking. I'll try it to be a little less sobby than he is. Uh, but last week was amazing. It was like I went up to Aaron afterwards. I said, man, that was probably one of my favorite messages that you've preached. The way he's able to keep himself composed through the whole message, almost sobbing. I'm like, that's a man. That is, that's pretty impressive. So there's a lot of you that do not know who I am as far as like, you may see me up here doing different things, but he used to let me speak quite a bit. I actually used to be an assistant pastor and through the years I've been demoted. Uh, (laughs) Somehow now there's other pastors and and I'm not a pastor anymore. Uh, No, I I say that jokingly. I have a different, God has given me a different ministry, um, different gifts and um, Pastoring is is not one of my gifts. Um, Leading is a gift, but not pastoring. There's a difference. There's a difference in pastoring and leading, and I'm a a leader. I'm not a pastor. Uh, I remember my wife and I, we were on our way to, and I'm just kind of waiting for some people to get back in here, but we were on our way to Indiana. This was several years ago, probably, gosh, 15 or 15 plus years ago, maybe even longer. It was before my mother passed away. And uh, there were some spiritual gifting books being passed out at church. And we were headed to Indiana. And pastoring was like my lowest score on the, the spiritual gifts. And uh, so I think that's when we started to know that maybe Aaron would be a better fit for when my father stepped down. And so God worked it out. I would probably, we'd still be over there at that other little church. With probably 15 people that were just like rocking it still. But God had better and bigger plans. So, uh, no, I, I want to get into today just on Palm Sunday. Um, th- there's different gospels that display and, and talk about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his last time entering in Jerusalem. And Luke is the passage that I really want to focus on today. So, we'll ask God to pray ask God to pray through me over this message. So Lord, we just come before you. Lord, you are so, so good. Uh, Lord, you are so, so big. But Lord, we know that we are here for a purpose and a plan. Lord, let me be your voice today. Let me be your voice that you may work through me, that somebody's lives will be upgraded today. Lord, that their spiritual knowledge, their wisdom, The way they walk, Lord, whether they're beginners or whether they're advanced in the kingdom, that today will be an advancement for them. It'll be an upgrade to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I had a graphic, but I'm not a graphic artist. But some of you, there's there's a, a gentleman, for you people who CrossFit, I don't. And there's a reason I don't, because I know my limitations. 
And I, I have two faults. One is I, I go crazy when it comes to competitiveness. So much that I can't play softball anymore. I would run into the fence. And I'm humble enough to know that my age, with the, the ailments of my years of abusing my body, there's some things I can't do in CrossFit as one. It's not that I can't do the exercises. It's not that I can't. I would not be able to look at other people who are doing more and better than me and, and not be in the hospital at some point. <laughs> so I compete against my own self. At, I work at the fire department, and I go work out at, in my own pace at my own leisure, and I just compete against the guy in the mirror, and that's fine by me. There was a day and a time where I would, I would be up there, and I would never let my brother beat me at anything, so that would be my, my gauge but now I know he would definitely smoke me in most exercises. But I say that to say that there's a, there's a, a pretty famous CrossFitter who started a, a buffalo farm that's called Into the Storm. And so we also, at the fire department, we have a, a good friend of Aaron and I's who has a bison farm between Piqua and Covington. And I'm, I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. And so in that hunting, there's another gentleman that I follow that wrote a book about the American bison. Nick over here, he has a bison. He killed a bison when he was in the military, and then he got out, and he, this, this head used to sit in his home, and there for a few minutes it was missing, but I think he found the, the bison head has, has been found. Uh, but the bison are a unique animal, and what's cool about bison is they, especially out in the plains and in the Rockies and different places where they, they live, when a storm comes, and a storm, say it's rolling over Rocky Mountains, and say it's a, it's a ferocious winter storm, they'll do something different than most creatures. They'll turn and face and go into the storm. They're closely related to the cows, and cows do not do that. Cows will turn their backs, actually, and go with the storm. Thus, the, the, the kind of principle behind that is cows are in their storms much longer than bison. Bison have this innate ability to, that's in their nature that was built within them to turn and go into the storm. Their faces, and then what happens is they're not in the storm near as long as their close relative cattle. And so that's where for months, and so Aaron, he comes to me occasionally, and it's been years actually, uh, he'll say, what's burning on your heart? So this, is, this message has been burning on my heart, but God had a plan for today because this last few weeks leading up to Easter, Aaron wanted to do kind of a series on simply Jesus. I mean, he is the reason. He is our Savior. And if it wasn't without Jesus, you know, where would we be? Would we still be in the Old Testament? We just got out of the Old Testament with the sabbatical, but you start reading the Old Testament and you realize my goodness, what did those people have to do just to wake up in the morning just to like, feel like maybe they're going to make it to heaven or make it to the promised land? All the sacrifices, all the sins, all these different things that were put on the children of Israel because they just kept failing, right? Every time they turned around, they had to make a new rule because they just could not focus on the mission. They could not focus on the mission, so the children of Israel, would, Moses would go up, he would hear, and then all of a sudden he'd come down and they're, they're, they're being heathens again. And so my wife and I, we've been reading through the, the yearly Bible read in a different format. We read and then we take notes and then we meet towards the end of the week and we start talking about what we've learned. And we've learned that the children of Israel could never get it right. 
So Jesus knew, God knew that ultimately he has to have a plan, plan B, to save all of us, humanity, the man that was made in God's own image, he had to have another backup plan that he says, I love these people. They, I've made them in my own image. How can we restore and at some point in eternity live with as many of them as, that I can? So here comes Jesus into the picture. Um, first, I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. I, I was in the military for four years, and then after the military, I always wanted to to be a firefighter, and God has been able to bless me with that career for a really long time, um, and I'm on the tail end of this, this career, but I've been able to do it for so long when I've seen so many people that, that get into law enforcement or firefighting that aren't rooted, aren't grounded, and they do, they're not successful. I've seen so many marriages fail. I've seen so many people turn to different alcohol, drugs, I, and it's sad because I wish people could just understand. It's like, if you are rooted and you are grounded, God has a way for you to make it through that storm. But I will say that some people say, well, you're wired differently. I may be. I mean, there's all kinds of us. God has created us all for unique ways and unique abilities. But I still think at our core, there are some things that we can unite behind that God will use us if we put it all together. And it's really simplicity. That message is simple, and it's, but yet we fail and we fail and we fail, just like the Israelites did back in the day when they were exiting from, from Egypt. And so I, I've lived by two core principles my whole life. And <laughs> so Judah, my son, just uh, got me back on track. But... <laughs> But I can, I can narrow it to two things. One is somebody has forged before I have went. And the second is when I'm, when I'm doing what I do, I look to my right and the left and I'm never alone. And so when I was in the military, same thing. There was, like, there was people that went way before me. Um, and in the fire department, there were, way, there were people, Benjamin Franklin, like over 250 years ago, was, was one of the first firefighters. And so when I look at this, it's like, because so many people it's like, how can you guys do what you do, run into burning buildings when everybody else is running out of burning buildings? I don't look at it like I'm any different. I just look at it like, well, somebody's got to do it. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, why not me? Lord says, whom shall we send? Who shall go before us? And Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. And that's been the core of my life. That's been the core of who I am. It's like, whether I'm cleaning a toilet in this church, which I actually just did before I came on here to speak, I went into the bathroom and it was a mess. And I'm like, somebody's got to clean this up. So if it's not me, then who is it? Somebody's got to put out the fire. Somebody in the military has to go advance and do the mission that was, that's before them. And I've always just been in the mindset, there's nothing too small, there's nothing too big for me that God can't use me. But through that, there are storms in our lives. Just like the buffalo, the cattle, there are storms that will be in your life and it's actually promised to you. In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but did not fall, because it had been founded on a rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does do them will does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. We've, we've experienced some winds here lately, right? I mean, there is, I'm telling you, in your life, and so I look back on a career of being a firefighter, working my way all the way to the top, and, and I look at that, and I look, at, and I look back, and if you had enough time with me, I would tell you about all the storms. It's not easy. It's not easy what we do. But when I look and say, well, if it's not me, then who is it? And I also look to the right and to the left of me, and there's people there beside me. It motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing. But I'm always rooted. I've been rooted my whole life in this. Aaron spoke of it just a little bit last week of my grandfather, who is my father's father, how as a young man, I would go over there and serve. My dad would say, my father would tell me, he's like, hey, your grandfather needs you to go over there and help him mow the grass. So I would, I would go over there. And it wasn't, it wasn't like chores. Hanging out with my grandpa was pretty cool. He was a man that had so much wisdom. But I remember when he got later in life, he couldn't see. And so he, he would, at first he had some kind of like a little projector that was like a magnifying glass that made the Bible words like this big. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but then I remember him telling me, he's like, Matthew, he's like, read your Bible because one day you may not be able to. Sink it into your heart because one day you won't be able to read it. And so Aaron talked a little bit about it because then it became a thing of like reflecting the last few weeks. It's like, well, why, why do I believe what I believe? Nicole is up here talking about if you serve God long enough, you're going to see some crazy cool stuff. And I've seen it. But still, these things, they come and they go. They come and they go. There's people that may be healed, and then there's weeks where nobody's healed. So if you're banking on the healings to make you a Christian, then you're going to, you're, that's that house on the sand. That's awesome. I mean, God is amazing. But what has rooted you? What roots you? Because what roots you will be the ultimate, because you will be tested. You will have these storms come upon you in life. And I'm telling you, if you're leaning on the miracles and you're leaning on these, these prophetic words and you're leaning on these things, you are building your house on something that may not be there at that time. But if you're rooted in what God has said is like you get rooted in this. And so I, I really want to go to now the triumphant entry of Jesus and hopefully let you see through a different set of lenses what I saw when I read this passage and put it together into the storm because Jesus, as he's coming into Jerusalem, he's starting to get these things in order because he starts to realize that, that I don't know exactly when Jesus knew he was going to die. Like, I don't know if, if it's ever been really searched out and really... You know, maybe Steve knows a little bit more than me. I didn't go to school on theology, but when I read the Bible, I don't see a clear point where Jesus actually knew he was before these certain passages in Luke. I'm talking about early in his ministry. When did Jesus, because he lived a life of 30 years, as we learned last week with Aaron, and three years of ministry. I want to say that in that three years of ministry is when he really learned what was going to happen to him. And so... This triumphant entry, Jesus knew this was his last time. This was his last time going into Jerusalem. And he told his disciples three different times of his death, and each time he told them, they were confused. 
That blows my mind. Like I'm, I'm trying to be these disciples that now they've experienced all these teachings. They've, they've lived with Jesus. They've watched him heal and, and basically ups, turn the kingdom upside down. But first there was John the Baptist, crazy John the Baptist running around eating locusts and baptizing people. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. Now he's with his disciples, but every time he tells them something, they're still confused. Like if I'm seeing Jesus raise the dead and if I'm seeing Jesus every time he approached in ministry he would approach somebody who was sick, lame or blind, he would heal them. So if I'm with Kenny back there, the one that you, you can't hardly see when the lights are off but he screams hallelujah, Jesus but if we're with Jesus hanging with him I'm not going to be the one that says oh, I don't know what you're talking about Jesus. I would just reserve that. Because I, I would be like, of course, he, like, just take it for what it is. But I want to read through Luke, the 19th chapter, a little bit, and I'll try to keep this really timely for you folks. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to back up a little bit. Aaron went forward last week. He went forward with Jesus being arrested and Peter whacking off the ear with some cool stuff, and then Jesus putting it back on. So we're going backwards just a little bit. We're going backwards for Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday, where Jesus and his triumphant return to Jerusalem. And then next week, Aaron will go over to crucifixion. So this is all happening around the same time. I just want to really enlighten you of, of simply Jesus, maybe a different perspective of what he was actually seeing, what he was doing to help you today. Because if you can get Jesus, you can really get it all. There's nothing else you need. You can make it through a storm. Like, here's, here's the deal. I've been married for 20-plus years. Like I, I, it, Once you get past so many years, they just start calculate now that's like my like I don't need to be reminded how old I am I know I've been married a long time and so but I remember early on in our marriage was it's like it was really stormy like Aaron Aaron's really good about talking about his testimony his marriage what what God rescued him from and so in our marriage 25 plus years we'll get there not 30 yet though all right close <laughs> So, so anyway, but I remember early on in our marriage, like it was this, Amy's close to her mother and she's, she was actually when she, we were first married closer than what she is right now to her mother. She separated by like eight feet early on. I felt like they were connected. So, so, uh, but these storms would come and we didn't know how like she came from a different background. I came from a, a yelling background. My dad, you know, if you ever hear him preach, it's just what I was used to. And uh, I yelled a lot. She would kind of close off and then, like, just storms. And we didn't know how together, how to go into these storms. Like, what do we what do? We do? And so um, arguments start to elevate, right? I mean, I'm not alone. I mean, like... It starts off like on the stupidest stuff too. I mean, it's like crazy stuff. But then eventually, it's like, I'm leaving you. Oh yeah, or you, or she would say, you got to leave. I'm like, I built this house. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and so, you guys, I won't go into all the details, but there's there's common terminology when it's like we're done, or to toss it out there in your marriage. It's like we were we're we can't do this anymore. And so, we've reconciled. And we would, we'd be fine for a long time again. And then it would happen all over again. It's, you know, whether it's a dishwasher that the water came out on the floor, hardwood floors all jacked up, 
little storms in your life that then creep into the storm of your marriage and then all of a sudden you are threatening divorce or you are threatening to leave. And so early on we recognized because we were still in church, maybe not to the extent that we are today, we were on a, on a spiritual walk, but we decided to say we will never use the word divorce again. And from that moment, we never even, like, not that we haven't had storms, not that we haven't had arguments, but it's never elevated to the point where it's an open door to, to discuss that we are not going to be apart, that we're going to be divorced, whatever. And so when we leave ourselves out, and when we can, because the Bible is so clear on what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. And you just shut it down. So that's a storm in our own life. Like we, we still face storms in our marriage. We got a 16-year-old. <laughs> Trust me. It doesn't get any easier the older they get. And we only have one, and I feel for my brother who has four, and I can't, it blows my mind to think how you how do you have more than one child and survive this planet? <laughs> but God knew. God knew. God knows for you. And so. I, I want to put it into perspective that the storms are going to come into your life. You are not exempt from storms, and that could be a storm in a battle in your own mind. That could be a storm in your financial life. That could be a storm in your workplace. It could be a storm in your health. My mother experienced cancer and more than once, but that lady was so rooted and grounded in her faith, she was never, never at peace with what God was doing in her life. She could have had some private times that, that, that I didn't see where maybe she was weak, but when I was around her, she was a strong woman of faith who never, it never to me felt like she was drowning in it. And I even actually remember, I don't remember if it was who started the conversation, but I think we were together as a family, and somebody asked her, you know, why again or why? And, she's, and she literally said, why not me? Kind of back to that Isaiah 6, 8. She's like, I would rather it be me than some child who doesn't know. Like, God, I, God has me. I know where I'm going. It's going to be a better place. And, but if he heals me and if that's his plan, I'm cool with that too. Ultimately, she passed away, but I can say that she passed away as a rock, as somebody who said, this is a storm that God gave me, but I'm not going to let it falter me. I'm not gonna, it's not going to hinder my faith. There's pictures of her right up here. She never got to experience a service here, but she got to write scriptures on this floor. So I want you to now put into perspective Jesus as he's returning to Jerusalem that he knows a storm is brewing. We're up here waving palm leaves, but I'm going to introduce you to a perspective of Jesus that might be a little different than what we're, we're thinking about as Palm Sunday. So in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 37, it says, When he came near to the place that the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. So Matthew had a little bit of a different perspective. It says everybody's rejoicing, right? Matthew, when you read Matthew today, it was like everybody's rejoicing. I, I, I take the Luke that I don't think everybody was. So before this, Jesus, he, he predicts his death three different times. And when he's talking to the disciples before his triumphant entry, he goes through a few things, and we'll talk about them here in a second. He goes through the transfiguration is where I find, I think Jesus got his mission and he got his details of what was going to happen in the, the transfiguration. 
And so now he's entering in, but in Luke it says the disciples were celebrating. And if you remember, Jesus sent out 12, and he sends out these 12, and they're performing all these miracles. Earlier in, in Luke here, before, I think it's about the ninth chapter of Luke, the disciples are sent. And he explains to the disciples, he's like, before you go, do you know what you're getting into? Because pick up your cross and follow me isn't so simple. You're going to have to give up everything if you want to come and follow me. So the disciples go out, they return, and then Jesus soon thereafter sends out 70. And the scripture actually says, and, and when he talks about the 70, when they came back, they were just magnified with everything that they had done. And what they said they had done was they were able to cast out demons. They were able to heal the sick. They were able to do all these things, but it said it was under the authority that they had. Something was different. When Jesus knew, so let's read a little bit further here, but I want, you to, I want to paint a picture here that I don't think everybody was celebrating like, like the Rose Parade when Jesus came into Jerusalem. In Luke, it says only the disciples were. Because really quickly, the Pharisees and people are starting to say, whoa, whoa, what's going on? So it says that the disciples joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they've seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke these guys. This is, this is absurd. Kind of like, remember when David, rejoicing when the ark finally came back? He danced his clothes off, and his own wife was like, what are you doing? You're making a spectacle of yourself. So the Pharisees are, it's, it's similar. The Pharisees are saying, Jesus, teacher, rebuke these, your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, in verse 41, except he wept over it. That's powerful to me. Because sometimes in our life, when we, we know the different storms we are facing, like my mother, I'm sure there was moments where she wept. Because while Jesus was fully divine, he was fully man. And so let's, let's go to another scripture. In Luke, I don't, I don't really know what chapter, I'm sorry, but it's verse 21. Luke 9, 9, 21, and strictly charged and commanded to them telling, he told his disciples in Luke 9 and verse 21, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised. Then it goes on to say the disciples like they were, they were confused. Like, what, you're just getting started, Jesus. Like, I've been at the fire department for over 24 years, and it feels like yesterday I started. Jesus, now he's three years with his disciples, and all of a sudden he's telling them he's going to die. And even though I'm sure they knew the scripture, I knew they, they, they had to know the, the, the scrolls and what the scrolls said that had to be accomplished in order for kingdom to come. But yet they're like, probably three years is not enough, Jesus. They're confused. And now let's get to the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says, now about eight days after saying this, he took with him Peter and John and James, went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, 
who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. In, in all of my heart, I believe this is the moment that Jesus got his final words. That the prophet, Elijah, and the law, Moses, had to be, had to be accomplished in order for the Messiah to become the Messiah. In order for him to redeem all of us, he had to go through this death as the last sacrifice for humankind. So we can now live in our junk, but know that on the cross he died and we're all in that. We accept Jesus as that man who died on the cross. Now his fulfillment of his life and his God sending him as the son, as the redeemer, is accomplished. But I want you to see that he's still fully man. So now he's meeting with Moses, he's meeting with Elijah in this transfiguration, and I believe they're telling him that, Jesus, you're about to face a storm. And this storm is going to change everything. But no, make no mistake about it, Jesus, this is not going to be easy. Your own people are going to turn you in. I believe that's what's being said. I'm not a theologian, but I'm just looking at this from Jesus, who, like myself, faced many storms, but none to the effect that Jesus is about to enter into this glorious waving the palm leaves. I think he knows now, meeting with the prophet, meeting with Moses, that this is going to be one of the worst things that he has to endure as a human. But as Messiah, he has to accomplish it. So he's meeting with him, and they're telling him. And then, like, then again, in Luke 18, later in Luke 9, the ninth ch chapter, verse 44, he says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And again, verse 45, they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them. So they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask about this saying. Luke 18 Verse 31, Jesus tells it again. He tells for the third time to his disciples what's about to happen to him. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. He's telling them, You guys don't understand what's about to happen to me. I'm about to face a storm and some of you are going to turn me in. Some of you are going to betray me and then you guys are going to be tested and others are going to betray me. Even you are going to be betraying me. In verse 34 there in chapter 18 it says, but they understood none of these things. Sometimes you're going to be going through storms that nobody knows but you. And some of the ones that are closest to you understand what you're going through. And especially if you're not in a church and you're not in a group of people who are like-minded and who have your back. Again, I, I look back at my life as a firefighter. I was in the Navy Seabees. We were trained in combat. Thank God I never had to go to combat. But many did. And I, I just, I was never fearful of it. I just knew that it's like, if, if, if not me, then who? And as long as there's people beside me, I'm cool. 
And that's what church is to me. Like when I'm running towards God and I'm running and we're running through whether it be COVID or whatever, we're looking and it's like, hey, what are we supposed to do here? This church decided that we're running straight for God. We're running for God and we're going to let him show us. And then as we're running, we're looking and all of a sudden there are the other bison are turning and coming with us. This is a storm that we're not going to run down into the valley and let the wind just, just blow us around and, and not ever know what's going on. It's going to hit us right in the face because when we hit it right in the face, God will take care of it. And it'll be, it'll be over before everybody else experiences it being over. And there's something about strength in numbers. Unfortunately, Jesus didn't have that. So when we say that we can be like Jesus and he's fully man, he's still fully divine, Jesus entered that storm all by himself. He was arrested all by himself. There were prisoners up there on the cross with him, but they had no relationship with Jesus other than the relationship at the end. All by himself. We have the luxury today that we don't have to do that. When you look to your right and you look to your left, when, you, when we were up here worshiping and everybody's out here, you are strengthened by the people around you. So Jesus enters into this triumphant entry was people who I believe that were part of the 70 disciples that went out and they probably multiplied they got to see what they were able to do under the authority of Jesus. And so in one of the verses, Jesus, when he was talking about the, the 70, and it's in Luke chapter, and I, I'm so sorry to our media people, but I'm bouncing all over the place for the sake of time. I'm in chapter 10, verse 17, and it says, The 70 returned with joy. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. This message is about simply Jesus. That what you can do by calling out his name, by what you can do is gathering around other people who know his name. And it says, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means will hurt you. And down a little bit further, and I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap up, I promise. Jesus in chapter, in verse 21, in, verse, in chapter 10, Jesus rejoices in the Spirit. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Jesus, by this time, knew what was going to happen to him. And now he's getting things in order. Later on in a few chapters, he teaches them to pray. What we were singing today, let heaven come. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Jesus rejoices in the Spirit when he sees the 70 and what they finally connecting what, his, what the authority under Jesus is. And so while Jesus is facing a storm, he's getting his affairs in order really quickly because he knows he's about to go into Jerusalem for the last time suffer this brutal death but he feels confident in the 12 that he trained he feels confident that finally the 70 that it's like okay and i'm not saying jesus was experimenting i'm not saying that but it's like 
the 12 got it. Now let's see if some others can get it. And I think when the 70 came back and they're celebrating, he was at peace because it says Jesus rejoiced in the spirit because he says he knows what these 70 with his name and the authority given to them by him. I think Jesus, like my mother's like, you guys are going to be fine. Don't worry. You have Jesus, you have each other. He can, you can cast out demons, you can trample on serpents. But know that you will face a storm. The storms will come, but if you have this rooted and you have this foundation of faith, you have a foundation when the storms come, instead of running like the cows, that you turn immediately because you recognize that it's a storm. I'm not so sure the cows, like, like if you know cattle, I've been around cows when I've hunted before. They are, they are not very bright. In fact, they're kind of dumb, in my opinion. In my opinion. I don't think it's so much that the cattle turn and walk the other way. I think they just kind of just stay where they're at. I'm just kind of like, oh, what's going on? Like, where the bison, there's something in a bison that innately they turn. It's a recognition of a storm. When, when other people are fleeing something, like what we get called to, Aaron and I, at the fire department, we're kind of actually excited. Not for death and carnage, don't get me wrong. We're excited that we get to do our job. We're excited that all the training that we do every day is something, somebody needs us at this moment to do what we've been training and training and training to do. And that when everybody else is running, we're going to come and bring calmness and peace because we're, gonna, we're the people people call. If you could get this, that Jesus is, is talking, he knows what's about to happen, and he is steady, and he's going back to, if you know about the cult and his triumphant return, it was fulfilling scripture earlier in the prophets, talking about you're going to write a cult that's never been written. Go find one, bring it. And so Jesus, he's fulfilling the scripture because he knows his mission, but as a fully human man, I can't imagine what's going through his head. I'm telling you, the storms will come in your life. Yes. Don't make this be in vain. Don't just stay in the wallow in your storm. Man up, turn around and face your storm and look to your right and your left and see who's standing beside you and look to Jesus. So, I really felt a call as Corey's coming up, we're going to He's going to lead us in some communion. But our, our, our culture and world in which we live is very chaotic. Would everybody agree? Like I've never, like I, I don't know if it's just the older I get, the more I, I tune into the news. And like as a youngster, I didn't care about the news. I didn't care about, you know, what was, what was happening around me. But as I get older, I, I start to think about my own son and maybe a time when, a long time from now, he may have children. And I think about this, this world in which we live. What is God doing? But as, as we look at this culture and we look at everything around us, there is such a storm. When you, if you've got your, your hopes in the stock market, if your hopes are in in the, our politics, if your hopes are into, you name it, you, you're, that is such shaky, shaky ground. 
But what I want to say to that is we have opportunities as Christians when everybody else is just kind of hanging out in these storms, we have the opportunity like bison to turn and say, okay, what is God saying in this storm? What is God saying in a culture that they are trying to distort the image of man? It's all around us. They're trying to distort what God created and turn it perverse. What is a man? What is a woman? I mean, that is just, I can't even fathom that. But what I can fathom is God is asking us and actually demanding it upon us to turn and face that storm and call what he is called to be true. And it starts in the home. It starts in your home. And, and I'm speaking directly to fathers and husbands right this second. It starts with you becoming a leader in your home. It starts with you getting in your Bible and knowing what the plan is when the storm comes. God, God is not the author of confusion. That's why for me and, and the people I lead at the fire department, we are not confused in emergencies. I can promise you that. We have trained for about everything and even knowing that we'll be called to things that we've never trained on, but the foundations of who we are, we can make it better. For you fathers and you husbands, I'm specifically telling you to man up and get a hold of your home. It starts there. And if you don't know what to do, you start praying and you get on your knees until you start hearing from God. And as you're going forward, come to church and look to the right and say, man, you looks like you're a great father. It looks like you're a great father. We have many great fathers and husbands in this church that can help you. Don't make what Jesus did in vain. He has a plan for each and every one of us. And as we look at Jesus and as Corey leads us into communion, when we look forward and we realize today on Palm Sunday that Jesus was going into Jerusalem for the very last time. And as everybody's celebrating, Jesus says he's weeping. We're looking at it like it's like, oh, fun and games. I mean, I'm not putting anybody down. Jesus is weeping because he says, you do not know what's about to happen. I'm going to be rejected, which was the chief cornerstone is about to be rejected here. But I have to do it for you and you and you and you and everybody sitting in here. Even hundreds of years later, he did it for you. He did it for you to, to face that storm in your family. He did that for you to face that storm in your, your health crises. He did it for you to not worry about finances, but to get him figured out first. And as we get into this week, get into your word. Watch the passion of Christ. It's a moving revelation of what Jesus knew on Palm Sunday he was going to face. I love you. I know sometimes you might not know who I am, but I am approachable, I promise. I won't, I won't bite but I love Jesus so, so much. I love Jesus for these kids that are coming in that they can have a life that's better than mine. That they have an opportunity to serve God more than I had. They're, I, I listen to something as, as these kids are coming in and I'm turning it over to Corey. I listened to Kirk Cameron this week and he was being interviewed and he says, never has there been an opportunity for Christians to stand up and bring revival. Never. 
He said in our history, when the, when the stock markets are in flux, when, when there's financial crises, when there's a culture shift, and when there's, there's people who don't know what's going on, never have there been a more ripe occasion for Christ to show up, but he can't show up unless it's you. I'll turn it over to Corey.